Galveston. A place that is unlike any other. Now, this place that you and I call heaven. Remember, we started out, we said, All right, now forget everything that we've ever seen about on TV or in a movie or in any other book except for Scripture. Because our idea of heaven uh, ranges from, you know, uh, floating on the clouds, playing a harp, uh, to some, you know, wacky idea of, you know, whatever is the most grandest thing that you could think of. Like God will just give you your heart's desire and everything. Just wipe all of that out. When people say, well, are you going to heaven? Are you going to heaven? And then, you know what we hear in our church language, what do we hear? Streets of gold, gates of pearl, that pearly white, that golden city, that city. And we talk about that in, in terms of, well, that is heaven, that city of gold where we'll live forever. But we're going to zero in today and look specifically at that city and understand that heaven as we talk about it in our vernacular in the church body when we talk about going and being in heaven we are talking about that specific period of time at the conclusion of the millennial kingdom at the end of the thousand year reign when that thousand years is over with, and then this earth and all that exists is made new. And then when, as we read the other week, last week, when Christ says what? Behold, I make all things new. New. The new heaven and the new earth. And then the new Jerusalem John said, I saw descending out of heaven. And then that establishes what we're calling heaven. Up until that point, when you and I leave the walks of this life, we enter that place like he told the thief. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. If you haven't got to heaven yet, Paradise is a pretty good place to be. Amen. <laughs> I'll tell you what. And we established that uh, looking at Scripture. You know, now, these things that, that Christ didn't really go into a lot of detail, but we have enough knowledge of these things to understand how important it is for us to have a right perspective of them. To so, to so many people... The afterlife is, is, is vaguely obscure. It is it's just it's so cloudy. And yes, there is a part of that, that that we do not yet, I mean, we can't comprehend it. We can't. Until we experience it, we can't. But yet there's enough in Scripture for us to know from our God that there is no reason whatsoever for us to fear anything. 
There's no reason whatsoever for us to be afraid. There's no reason for us to have any doubt that what God has promised us in his word is the truth. The gospel truth. And in that place, in that place of preparation, paradise, where the thief met him that day. You know, I, I'll be glad when we get there and I can learn his name. I hate, you know, we've always called him the thief on the cross. And, you know, he's probably all right with that. But one day we'll get to learn his name. And, you know, no doubt at the countless people he has influenced in his life from that one moment in history his testimony, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That simple testimony of his that has influenced so many lives. But now he abides in paradise with all those that have gone before us. And they await our arrival if we get there before the Lord returns. And so what they are about doing is basically what we're seeing in scripture. Everyone that we see in scripture that experiences these visions like John did, like Paul did, like all those within scripture that saw visions, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all those when they saw, they didn't, God didn't take them over there. Jesus didn't come and get them and take them to the other side and show them, you know, the the local Christian bookstore book on heaven. Oh yeah, there's your there's your your mansion down by the creekside. There's your fishing poles over there, and you go over there. Now listen, don't get me wrong. That's all good. Now, don't don't get mad at me. But listen, that's not what the angels are coming and showing these people. That's not what's being revealed in Scripture. What they are showing us is. What we need to know. What in the world is our perspective in this life? Most of us are focused on ourselves and the here and now. I mean, most of us do that. That's, that's pretty much what humans do. We focus on us. We focus on the here and now. But what we see these people are shown is focus on, focusing on God and it's in what we would call the future. Looking ahead, how can I serve him? How can I serve him? Why was I created to serve him? I was made in what? His image. You see where heaven is going Heaven, heaven, we've made heaven about us. <laughs> now, what makes heaven heaven? <laughs> He's there. He's there. I don't care how many streaks of gold you have. I don't care how many gates of pearl there are. If Jesus is not there, it is not heaven. Amen. Plain and simple. So you see, there is 
a truth for you and I to know as God's people. And the reason I'm going into this little diatribe here at the beginning is because I want you to understand, this is why we get a bad rap. You Christians, all you think about is heaven. All you, 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 you just, you, you think you're so much better than everybody else. Uh, all you talk about is your, you know, your golden city and stuff. You believe all that. So you see, this is why uh, I wouldn't use this message here to try to go out and witness to folks, to try to go out and tell them, you know, this is why you need to be saved. You need to get saved so you can go to heaven. No, heaven is our promise. It is our reward for our service to the king. It's not to carry it on the end of a stick to try to get somebody saved. See what I'm saying? Oh, you need to get saved. You, you, you want to go to heaven. Yeah, you want to go to heaven. But once again, Jesus is the focus here. Not heaven, Jesus. If Jesus ever becomes not the focus, you're going down the wrong road. And you see, this is where so many well-intended people within the church have got off track. Oh yeah, we got the, you know, we're we're on our way to heaven. Yes, we are. But we're serving Jesus on the way. This it's when we get there, it's great, it's grand, but it's because he's there. And you see, in our daily life, yes, we understand what awaits us. We understand what is before us. But listen. Just like you don't hear me preach on this very often, just like I don't talk about it very often, there's a reason for that. It's something that I hold near and dear to me, just as you should to you. Very close, very personal. This is not something that you, you know, as Jesus was talking about, you know, don't cast your pearls before the swine. There's some things you hold near and you hold dear. And this promise, this assurance, you don't go out into the world and start witnessing to people. Oh yeah, you you, you need to you need to get uh, turn your life over to the Lord. You need to get saved because you want to go to heaven. No, you won't to serve the Lord. You want to do what you were created to do. We were created in his image to reflect his glory. See, it's all about him and his glory. Not about me, not about my mansion or my cabin or my whatever, you know, my thoughts of heaven is. We used to talk about that when we were younger. I remember running around over there in Morning View. We, you know, I don't know how we got off on some of them conversations sometimes. And, you know, we're talking about, we reckon we'll be able to, you know, uh, chew tobacco in heaven. Reckon you'll be able to do this in heaven, you know. And you just get off on them conversations. And, you know, we talk about all kind of different stuff. Reckon we can do this. Reckon we'll have this to eat in heaven. And you see, it was always about what we were going to be doing, what we wanted, and what our desires was. And you see, as we've grown older and grown wiser, 
and got into the word, we understand it what. And this is what we're going to see in this scripture today. So let's just get into it. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read, start in verse 7. We got up to verse 7. And we're going to read the rest of this chapter. Now I know it's a lot of scripture. But it's okay. Because we've just got just a little uh, short message to go along with this scripture after we get through reading because the scripture is the most important part. It is the most important part of this. And there's some things in here that we absolutely want to be able to see. So let's begin reading. Revelation chapter 21, begin reading in verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving, and the abominable and the murderers, and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now let's stop right there, because I want you to see, before we go on, those first few verses there. Remember after we got through reading uh, last week, right? Christ said, I'm making all things new. It is done. It's accomplished. And then we see here the angels telling John, he that overcometh there in verse seven, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. He shall be my son. Notice verse eight though. Because remember, what is being shown to John is in his time, yet future. So when we see this statement, you know, yes, when we get to this point in chronological history, all of these things will be in our past, but yet they are not at this time because this is what John is being shown. And this is what John is told. These are the people who will not be here in heaven, the fearful. Basically what this word is relaying here is those who are lacking a fear of God. That's what that word actually conveys. Those who have no fear or awe of God. You've heard them. You know who I'm talking about. Oh, God's not going to tell me what to do. I don't need God in my life. I don't need nobody to tell me what to do. You church people, you make me sick. You, you know you know the kind I'm talking about. These cats out here think they got it all together. Macho man. Yeah. We're going to thank macho man one day. John says, no. The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, 
and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, if you're like me, okay, you, you, when you first read that list, and you're like, well, wait a minute. I think I might have, okay. I know I've told a lie before. I don't have to, you know. <laughs> I don't have to doubt about that. And, and the word tells me that if I've if I violated one, go ahead and check them all off. You're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. You see, when you begin to look at that, you're like, okay, well, mm. But see, you got to remember who you are in Jesus Christ. You're a child of the king. Child of the king. It's time to start acting like a child of the king. You've been washed in the blood of the lamb. You haven't been forgiven by just some good guy that wants to do good by you. No, you've been forgiven by the creator of all that exists. The creator of everything. It is the creator who put on the flesh that he created and came down here and gave the life blood from that flesh so that you and I could be saved. He is the one that did that. And when we put our faith and our trust in him and believe in him, we are covered by his blood. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt that. Because Satan, that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to be filled with fear. He wants you to doubt. He don't want you to hold on to this promise. But you see, there are those who will not be there. All right? So let's get back down there. All right? So the John has been carried away in the spirit to a great and high mountain there in verse 10. Showed a great city, that holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Verse 11, having the glory of God. Get that now. Having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a great wall, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Okay? So we kind of briefly... Went over this last week, but you see here a physical description of this city. Walls, great and high. Twelve gates, three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west. Twelve gates all the way around. Each gate, what? A physical description of this. Let's continue. Verse 15. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. 
And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof and an hundred and forty and four cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, likened to clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysophorus, the eleventh a jacent, the twelfth an amethyst. Make any gemologist, gemologist. Gemologist, there you go. Any gemologist salivate right there with me. Tell you what. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Whew, what a description. What a description. But one that yet even still is hard to wrap our mind around, isn't it? You see, one thing we need to understand right off the bat because there's you know and when I was going through this you know I went back there's several illustrations if you will that people have come up with about what the new Jerusalem looks like to them okay so right off the bat if if what I'm fixing to describe to you does not fit what you have thought heaven to be don't be offended okay don't be offended. Don't be mad. Because you see, we have to understand this one thing. What is being described to us is in eternity. It is outside of time that you and I live in. And remember this. And the best way to understand this is to think about Jesus Christ after he had risen from the dead. Okay? Physicists today think that there are probably somewhere around 10 dimensions that we have within our physical universe. Now, we are aware of four. We can understand four. Length, height, depth, and time. Time is a physical property. We understand these four dimensions. Anything beyond that scrambles the brain. Okay, I mean, it gets, it gets hard to understand. 
and, and to try to understand that. The best way to try to understand it is, is not to try to go forward in dimensions, but to step back in dimensions. If you've got a, a physical, a two-dimensional universe, you've got length and you've got height, but you don't have depth. You know, think about that. If, if this is all you existed in, that would be all that you knew. You wouldn't understand anything out here. But yet somebody that was in the third dimension could just walk right by you. Stick their finger in your universe, and all you would see was a little dot. You wouldn't see their finger. You see, kind of weird, but you get the idea. But what you and I have to understand, remember when Christ rose from the grave, and when he appeared back to his disciples, the disciples were in the upper room, they were, the doors were shut, the windows were shut, and they were, they were sitting in the room scared to death because the authorities were after them. They were afraid if they got discovered, they would be next. And yet, who appears? Jesus Christ. No door opens, no window opens, no roof is torn off. Jesus Christ walks into the room. And you see, this is what his when he is, he's the first fruits from the dead. He has risen from the dead. He has the body that you and I aspire to, the new body. Remember what he told Mary, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. When he talks to the disciples, he says, do you not know that flesh and blood Not inherit the key. Flesh and bone will, but flesh and blood. But you see, he appeared there in the room. So, what we know, Scripture tells us that when we see him, we shall be like him. So, we're going to have that same body, we're going to exist in that same physical nature that he was after he arose and he was able to I don't I don't know if it's going through walls I don't know if it's going over in them I don't know okay I don't know but all I know is that the body that my savior had after he arose from the grave in this world he was able to walk from one room to another through a wall without having to worry about it he could move through Jerusalem. He could move through Judea. I mean, he was going from place to place. And you see, when we get there, that is how we need to understand things. Yes, we're describing a city that we understand and comprehend with our four-dimensional mind, but yet... It probably exists in more dimensions than what we're able to comprehend, okay? I just want to put that disclaimer out there. I know that's probably the most geeky-fied, nerdy-fied disclaimer that you've ever heard, but you need to understand that. Because any description that I gave you, you know, you have to, you have to understand that, you know, I'm still thinking with my, you know, this physical nature. And, and I'm trying to comprehend what that physical nature is going to be like. All right? 
So here we go. The city of pure gold. The new Jerusalem. These are some terms that we want to understand first and foremost before we actually describe this city. The, the term four square there in Revelation 21.6, the city was four square. That's the Greek word tetragonos. Tetragonos, it means quadrangular, it means square. Okay? Now this may not be how you have envisioned heaven, but that is the word used. It means the same length, height, and width. That's a square. That's a cube. Okay? And that same verse, the uh, word furlong is used. Anybody anybody use furlongs anymore? Anybody got to take measures to house with furlongs on it? <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> a furlong is the Greek word stadium. It's a spacer distance uh, that was used back in this time. Uh, it measures about 600 feet. About around 600 feet. So you have to also remember now, distances that were used back then that are translated into now, you know, sometimes, you know, a little bit iffy. But we can get close. And then there's another term that is used in the next verse, 21.7, a cubit. Most of us, I think, know what a cubit is. The elbow to the arm, okay? Now, we could probably, you know, go around comparing this morning. I don't think... Everybody's going to have the same distance from the elbow to the arm, to the, to the tip of the fingers, down to the bottom of the elbow. It's generally accepted about 18 or so inches, but 20, 22, 25, all of those different measurements are used as well. So understand that. Okay? All right. And for comparison, here we go. 12,000 furlongs, the city of Goa. This is what John said. And the city lieth four square. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length, the breadth, the height of it are equal. 12,000 furlongs is in approximation, it's just a little bit less, it, you know, 1,370 miles. Okay? 1,370 miles. You're talking about a city with walls that measures 144 cubits. That is... According to what your cubit is now, you're looking at probably anywhere between 220 to 250 feet. Okay? A wall. A football field is 300 feet, okay? To give you some idea of comparison. A football field is 300 feet. So you're talking about a city whose walls are, let's say, 250 feet. Its length is 1,370 miles. Its width is 1,370 miles, and its height is 1,370 miles. And you think, man, what a city. What a city. 
But you see, the best way to understand this, the best way to try to understand this concept, because all of us have our own ideas now. I know we do. We've all thought about what's heaven going to be like. We're going to live in the golden city, running up and down the streets of gold. We'll have mansions built of gold there on the streets of that city. But it says, is this what this is saying? Is that what this is saying? It's telling me about this city and the size of it. And I want you to notice something, what John says. Verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Okay. Every several gate was of one pearl. Now look at what John says here. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Street, singular. The word used there is singular. Now that same word, that same Greek word is used about 12 times in New, in New Testament scripture. And in other places, it's used, it's translated as streets. But here in Revelation, it's used in the singular. Now, am I saying there's just one street in heaven? I don't know that. But I'm saying what John is describing, what he's seeing, he's looking at one street. So what is the best way to understand this humongous golden city? And, you know, how far is 1,370 miles anyway? Well... I was looking around a while ago uh, while Greg was teaching. Sorry about that. <laughs> but I, I got, I, it come up, popped up in my head. I'm like, well, I wanted to check something right quick. And I kind of looking around, and the best I could come up with on short notice was Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> Albuquerque, New Mexico. And from where we're at right here to Albuquerque, New Mexico, is about 1,230 miles. So we're still like, you know, a few miles yet. But you think about that. A wall from here to just a little past Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then up north, you're probably looking somewhere around Michigan, Canadian line, probably maybe a little bit further. Massive. Massive. And then the walls are as high. How, how is this? What is this place? The best way to understand it now to me, the best way to understand heaven as we go forward in this description is to think back to the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus. What's in the book of Exodus? Well, that's where God, Jesus, gives this guy named Moses some plans for a little building called the tabernacle. And within that tabernacle is the outer court. Okay, yeah, let's build this outer court. All right, then you go in and build the inner court. All right, and you're going to see this, you know, you've got the table of showbread, you've got the menorah, you've got, uh, just build this place. But in the middle of that place, it's this special, special place that I want you to build for me. 
That's where my glory is going to reside. When I come and reside with you, that will be where my glory is. And that is the holy of holies. That is where the Ark of the Testament was kept. That was where the, uh, the Shekinah glory of God came down and dwelt in the camp. And you see, what do we see when we begin to read about heaven? Because John tells us there, he's like, when I was looking at this city, at the new heaven and the new earth, one thing I didn't see was what? A temple. There was no temple there. Because God himself shall abide with his people. There's no need of a temple. You don't have to come forward to go into the temple. And what I believe we see here in the description of this city that you and I call heaven is basically the holy of holies. Because what does John tell us about this? What does he tell us about this city? In chapter 22, he, he says this, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So you get an idea? Or can you get an idea? This this massive, massive holy of holies. What used to be in the temple, what used to be in the tabernacle, the holy of holies, that was where the Ark of the Testament was at. And that was where when only the high priest could go in one time every year. And he was the only one. And when he came in, he had to be washed. He had to be cleansed. And he had to be carrying the sacrifice, the blood of the heifer, and come in and make sacrifice for the sins of Israel. And it was only at that one specified time and only under those specified conditions that he could come in. But when Jesus Christ, when he died, when he said on the cross to Telestai, it's finished. Bowed that head and that spirit left that body there on the cross. The first place he went was to that temple. And he took the veil that covered the Holy of Holies and kept everybody out. Everybody, nobody had access to God except one time a year and one person every year. And when Jesus Christ left that body, the first thing he went and done was take that veil of that temple and ripped it. Read the scripture. It says it was ripped from top to the bottom. Not bottom to the top, top to the bottom. That's because Jesus did it on his way out. No more. You don't need this anymore. And you see this description that John gives us says you have a this symmetrical cube. Think of four walls all the way around. Think of massive street of gold that is within there. And within that holy of holies is the throne of of the living God. And guess what? There's no veil around this place. It has three gates on the north. It has three gates 
on the south. It has three gates on the east and three on the west. And you see, he goes forward in Exodus to give further descriptions about how the children of Israel were to encamp about the tabernacle. You had three tribes down here on the south. You had three tribes up here on the north. You had three tribes on the east, three tribes on the west. You see, I'm not an architect. Not very handy with a hammer sometimes. But if I'm going to put a gate in something, that's telling me it's to go in and out of. To have access to. And you see, that city, this city has access to God. You don't have to go and ask the high priest anymore. You see, I, I, I don't know just exactly what is in that city. Because, you know, when Jesus, you know, in, in John chapter 14, this, you remember that's what he told him. You know, you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am there you may be also. But then we saw last week, John said what? That Jesus said, behold, I'm making all things new. So our Hollywood idea of heaven, St. Peter's Gate, no, I all that stuff, no, 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 no. We need to think in terms of the Old Testament. That's what describes heaven for us. That's what gives us a clear understanding of what heaven is. We have this city, 12,000 furlongs by 12,000 furlongs and a wall that is 12,000 furlongs high. 1,370 miles. Walls, 250 feet thick. Foundations made out of these 12 different gems. Precious. Not none of this stuff that you see now. Not none of this uh, cubic zirconia or nothing like that. Not that there's anything wrong with the cubic zirconia. Okay, don't get me wrong. But all this is the real deal. Gold. That is like trench. You see, it's, once again... This is the pure stuff. Absolutely, positively pure. There's no sun there. There's no need of the sun. For the lamb is the light. This city gives light to all that exists, to all of the new earth. The new Jerusalem gives light to all the new earth. There's no sun there. And you see, think about it. We have a, I think we have probably a, a, a comparison in this in our modern technology. Anybody ever seen one of these fiber optic lamps? Got these little cords coming up everywhere. And you see a fiber optic cable. They use them on stereo systems. And you'll look at the end of the cable and you see a little light coming out of there. And what it is, is all it is is a glass cable. It's just glass. Not like painted glass but it's made out of glass and when light goes in one end it goes it travels all the way through to the other because it's transparent and think about this 
If you've got the throne of the living God, you're surrounded by golden walls that are so pure, they are transparent. It's just like that fiber optic lamp that you see. The light is transfused. It goes through those walls and is radiated to all that is around it. So that the new earth Remember now, this is a big place, isn't it? This is a big place. And the light that is coming out of the city is radiating all over new earth. This humongous place where God dwells with his people. The lights. There's no sun. No moon. No sea. I used to be troubled by that. No sea. Man, I want to go fishing. Once again, it was, it was about me. I want to go fishing. But you see this new creation. Oh, man. Oh, me. We don't have any idea. Just for a little bit of comparison. To break it down. In that city, 1370 by 1370, that is approximately 1,876,900 square miles. Okay? Now, according to the conversion factor, there are 640 acres per square mile. So if you've got 1.8 million square miles... That's 1,876,900 times 640. That gives you 1 billion, 201 million, 216,000 acres. Pretty good spread, isn't it? This is just the city. This is the city. All right? But yeah, now think about this. If... If the way that I understand it, when from what Peter tells us, that the earth and the elements will be melted with fervent heat. Now, some people understand that to mean total annihilation of all that exists, or there are some like myself who think this simply means a cleansing by fire. I think that this earth that we abide on will be cleansed by fire. Not actually destroyed, but cleansed by fire and then made anew by Christ. And so if you take that and figure that, well, this earth is going to probably be about the same size, okay? But now remember, no more sea. No more sea. So the surface area of the earth is 196 million 936,994 square miles. That translates to 126,039,676,160 acres. Okay? So if you do the math, and that's a hard thing for me to do, but if you do the math, you come up to like point nine five as far as land mass of New Jerusalem 
compared to the surface area of the earth. So basically, the New Jerusalem is going to take up 1% of the surface area of the new earth, which is made new. So you're getting this understanding of heaven. Heaven's not vague. Heaven's not clouds. Heaven's not something that is out there. Heaven is real. Heaven is a place that you and I will serve the creator for all that of eternity. It's real. One percent. I used to think, man, the golden city is so big, it's going to dwarf everything. But then you see what he has done. Because we saw over there, what, in verse 22? He said that there's a river there. That water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God in the midst of the, here we go again, the street of it. Singular again. The midst of the street of it on either side of the river and there the tree of life which bare the twelve manner of fruits and yielded it a fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse. Here we go. But the throne of of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his names shall be in their forehead. There shall be no night there. They shall need no candle, neither the light of the sun, nor the Lord God, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. <laughs> 